We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. It is a busy, busy, busy time of the year. Thank you for giving us some grace about getting episodes out. I feel like we say this all the time, like, oh, we're all so busy, and then it just never gets less busy. Is that kind of the feeling you've had lately, Rachel? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I want to congratulate all that came out to the Iowa State Fair. We're still riding that high. It was uh, 11, 10 days of fun, fun, fun here in mid-August, and, you know, it's just, it's amazing how many people come by, say hi, look at the fish uh shoot some bbs on the bb gun range and just explore we had we had ducks back in the pond which was so nice with the avian bird flu going around the last couple of years we've not had geese or ducks in the pond and so it was nice to have them back and our turtles and yeah it was just it was fun to be at the fair um and it's fun to not be at the fair anymore it's fun to have that, <laughs> that gone the goodbye butter cow for the year and everything on a stick and until next year you know hopefully we'll all be working out getting ready for next year's you know deep fried oreos or whatever on a stick so tana what what's going on in kansas what's coming up uh there's a ton of stuff going on in kansas but right now it is like pedal to the floor getting ready for bow so we're recording this right at the end of august and bow is september 22nd through the 24th so yeah, getting geared up for that, getting all our ducks in a row. Um, we've got some awesome items that our ladies are going to walk away with this year, in addition to all their knowledge um, that they'll take from the courses and hopefully friendships as well. So we had an awesome mini bow event where we went with a guide, Joe Bragg with Dump 30 Guide Service and did some crappie fishing for beginners. Um, that was a great time. We had some past bow participants that came to that. And then we also had some new people that were just brand new to bow and um, saw it and decided they wanted to come. And some of those folks are going to join us in the fall. So it's been um, busy, but exciting on a personal note. I'm also gearing up for a bear hunt in Southern Colorado, busy <laughs> trying to get prepared for that. This is okay. You guys, like I act like I'm some crazy outdoor aficionado. If you haven't figured this out already from listening to the podcast, I'm not. I love the outdoors, but I'm not necessarily a pro and super knowledgeable in everything. So this is going to be my first camping trip outside of the state of Kansas. Whoop, whoop. In the wilderness for real. <laughs> Definitely my first bear hunt. And it's just a crew of all women. It's me, a fellow coworker, colleague, good friend of mine that is seven months pregnant and one of our female commissioners for KDWP. So it's all DIY. We're not hunting over bait, no guide. It's just going to be a lot of trial and error and probably mostly error. But that's how we all learn, right? That it is. Yeah. Putting yourself out there in a super safe, controlled environment and seeing what happens and then reacting. So right, exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about the stories and adventures after 
I will keep you guys updated. And if I get any cool pictures, I'll try to share them on the uh, on the Facebook page when I get back. We are joined on the mic today by Kayla as well, because Julia is busy. Golly, we've been talking about busy and Julia has been running around like crazy, too. She couldn't join us today, but we're very happy to have Kayla with us. And I'm sure Kayla has a busy schedule as well. One of the items on her busy schedule is that she has recently switched roles. So um, as you guys know, Kayla provides us with a lot of technical support. But Kayla, talk to us about your new role and what you're going to be doing. Thanks, Tana. It's great to be in studio again and on the night mic, not just behind the scenes. So <laughs> my new position is with Nebraska Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. I am the R3 position for the whole state. Um, so we're getting people out. We're keeping people out and those who've been out before but may not be out anymore. We're getting them out into the outdoors, hunting, fishing, shooting sports, what have you. So it's a fun position, and I'm excited to be in it. Well, congratulations. We know you're going to keep kicking butt the way you always do. So we've got a really exciting topic today. Um, I can't remember. Is this something that Julia initially tracked down and sent to us? I believe yeah. so. I've been uh, scouring NPR and found this great article to talk about. That checks out. Her mind never sleeps. This article is an NPR article, and it's entitled, Men are Hunters, Women are Gatherers. That was the assumption, but a new study upends it. And it was published on July 1st, 2023. And when Julia saw it, she's like, we've got to discuss this on the podcast. This is so fascinating. So today we're going to take some time to kind of break down this article and talk about the findings and what that means culturally, what that means to each of us individually, and really just dive into this topic. So we have no necessarily expert guests on today. We're just going to discuss this article. And when the episode posts, we'll be sure to share that link to the article in the post so that you all can check it out as well. Rachel, do you want to kind of give us a little bit of a synopsis on what this article found and dove into, and then we can get into some more of the details? Yeah. Yeah. So this article really kind of dove into the, to the assumption that, you know, there was a real division of labor since early humans. And that was that men did the hunting and women did the gathering. And because of those, and I'm using air quotes, you just can't see them, but because of those natural roles, that's how society broke down. And those were the expectations. The article goes on to really kind of dive into a couple different uh, professors and studies, but, but what they're really getting at is some new work published by the University of Washington and Seattle Pacific University. And the lead researcher kind of goes on to say, like, we really wanted to dive more. We wanted to see, you know, if, if this assumption that men were hunters and females were gatherers, if that held true. Fabulous. Um, I read it and it I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, it was July. So it was a couple months ago. Um, I actually read the study, but in reading the extract again and just kind of their synopsis, it was it was fabulous. And one of their big findings was, um, and we kind of talked about this off air, but 79% of societies um, from which the, they found data showed that women were hunting. So I'm going to pause there. I don't want to ruin any more of this article, but Tana, what are your thoughts? Well, one of the things that initially stuck out to me about this was that the lead researcher, Kara Wall Scheffler, female, immediately, and she's kind of like blown the whistle on this and called BS and said, I don't believe that women were in these like strict gender roles of the, like, that we traditionally consider. And again, like we're using air quotes and all these natural or gender roles because, you know, a lot of us feel like maybe those don't exist. But anyway... 
Kara just kind of called BS. I was like, no, she's a biological anthropologist, and she wanted to put that assumption to the test. And that's what they dove into. And it's so cool to see um, and to learn that so much of that kind of theory was based on anecdotal research and assumptions about what those roles would have looked like in ancient societies. So I just, I'm so inspired by this, but also just think it's really cool that the research itself is being led by a woman diving deeper into this. What about you, Kayla? Yeah, this article was also interesting. Like you guys said, there's always been that, I guess, kind of assumption that men have always been the ones who've gone out and done the quote unquote manly things, such as making the tools, building the stuff. But in this article, it really it brings out those key points that everybody pitched in. It wasn't just one person or another or adults versus kids. It says everybody was a part of it. So it was very interesting. I'm excited to dive in deeper and kind of see what your guys' thoughts are on some of the more key points that she found in her studies. One thing, too, that made me think of our friend Sharenda Burtz, who is a complete gear junkie, is that lead researcher Wal Scheffler noted that when women were involved in the hunting, it wasn't just an opportunistic killing of like stumbling across a rabbit as they're foraging and being able to harvest it. She said that that hunting that these women were doing in ancient societies was purposeful. They had their own toolkit. They had like favorite weapons. Um, and that hunting knowledge was passed down generationally. And we think of that typically as like, oh yeah, my grandpa took me hunting and then he took his son's hunting. No, grandmas were often like some of the best most wise hunters in the village so i just i think of these gals out there and they've got their own toolkit and they're like hey this is my stuff i'm ready to go and it, it just makes me think of sharinda with all her cool gear and how she's into that so sharinda if you're listening that's a shout out to you lady <laughs> yeah it is and, and what's cool about this their research is that they actually look through a lot of they look through literature so they look through written word or written reports of how the culture or the society functioned. And I just thought it was crazy that like of the of the 68 different uh, or excuse me, 63 different foraging societies that they looked at, they it was across the world. So we're not specifically talking North America here. We're talking North America, South America, Africa, Australia, Asia. Yeah, Oceania. There we go. Um, but it, it, I just thought that was interesting. And then furthermore, to your point, Tana, they weren't opportunistic. They It was intentional. And it a lot of times it was large game. You know, we think of, I don't know, society sometimes portrays women as like, oh, they hunted squirrel and rabbit and those, you know, the, the fair sex got the, the fair foods or something like that. And documentation is, it's totally disproving that. And it's, it's pretty cool to see, but I did think it was cool that one of their other things that they reported on was women hunting with dogs. And I, and I think of all of our, our female friends that, that are upland hunters that, you know, a lot of them got into hunting because of dogs. And I, I just thought that was kind of a, another interesting point that came up in in the in the research and in the literature yeah i bet our friend marissa jensen would sure appreciate that i thought it was interesting too the way they dove into how we as a community and even as a scientific community as much as there's the attempt to be 
kind of unbiased and just to look at the data, we do apply our bias to these situations. And like you said, Rachel, this was in the literature. All this information was there and ready to us, but we had some implicit bias where we were assuming what these roles looked like that maybe wasn't even realized. And the article even points out the fact that maybe religion played a role in this as well, along the myth that God made woman from a man's rib to be a helper and that man is the hunter and the leader and the woman is the gatherer. You know, that's probably an enduring aspect to some of this bias and some of these assumptions. So it's like the information was there all along, but just culturally, the the lens through which we've looked at it has been a little bit skewed. So it's so cool that someone took the time to pull this out. And the author kind of interviewed, well, she didn't kind of, she interviewed Kimberly Hamlin, who's a professor of history at Miami University in Ohio. And and to your point, Tana, she kind of, they talked about the fact that like, you know, the belief is men are supposed to be violent and aggressive. And that's like also one of the pieces of toxic masculinity, right? Like the reality is, based on this literature, maybe maybe all of those assumptions are false. My brain just keeps working. I mean, I know you can see the smoke. Listeners, unfortunately, you can't see it, but I'm sure you can you can imagine that the smoke is just coming off and and thoughts and and the wheelhouse is working. But there's another part later here that kind of brings those two together of that masculinity does all the hard work stuff and our biases of 2018 or 9,000-year-old skeleton buried person was found with a large number of hunting tools and she quotes here that they all just assumed it was a male everyone sitting around saying wow this is amazing was he a great hunter was he a great warrior was he a great chief and the big thing that she took of that was he he was a great chief he was the great warrior And so she went back to um, those skeletons and found that from the DNA, from the teeth, they were actually women. It says here 27 graves um, were found, and of them, 11 were female hunters found with tools, found with other um, hunting apparel, hunting gear. And so she was astonished that they first believed that it was all men in these 27 graves, and when she d- dived in deeper, they actually weren't all men. And I that was just crazy that they looked past that really simple fact of, is this a man that we found or is this a woman? I Like Rachel said, just smoke coming out of my brain of, <laughs> wow, how did we miss this important step? And how harmful can those assumptions be too? Not only obviously for accuracies in science, because they just assumed and we we didn't make that leap and kind of test those materials until until later, but also just culturally. And I've talked to my husband about this before too, the pressure that is put on on men to feel like they have to be the breadwinners, to feel like they have to be these aggressive, you know, natural breadwinner types because that has been assumed to be deeply ingrained within their DNA and that's natural. And, and come to find out, maybe that's not the case. And on the other side of that coin, that women were always assumed to be natural caretakers and, you know, maternal figures If you're a woman and you're in that role and you're like, man, I don't necessarily feel like this is something that comes to me naturally, but you feel betrayed by that because you think it should be deeply ingrained within your biological, like your DNA, take some of the pressure off yourself because these roles (laughs) were not so deeply defined. Um, And I, I just think that's so interesting. 
And uh, it makes me think of some of our other friends like Tania Bethke with the council who, um, you know, have come into motherhood and have looked at their role within that and examined it from their own personal lens and determined what was right for them, whether they continued to work or whether they stayed home. And just the freedoms that this research kind of affords women to make those decisions and not feel like they're predestined for any one role. Rachel, what's your take on that, being a mother yourself? Certainly can't speak to to all or for all moms out there, but it's amazing the the cultural pressures and just like the your own pressures that everything has to be perfect and 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 then we run a parallel life, right? Like everything has to be perfect at home, everything has to be perfect at work, and and you're kind of bouncing back and forth constantly. So, yeah, it it it's nice. It's <laughs> maybe nice to hear that like okay you can take a deep breath like we're all trying to work and figure out this balance all of the assumptions that we've had are are a little jaded maybe they're a little off and and i guess it's a good reminder that we all kind of have to find the balance and and that that spot for us that works for you know our individuals and our families and and it's a nice reminder that uh Sometimes societal pressure is wrong and, and, and gotta put it to the wayside and do what you think is right. So I think it shows that you can be you in your own way, that if you want to be a mom and you want to go out hunting, go for it. If you want to be a mom and you want to just do foraging or you don't have the time to go hunting, go for it. Like just because there's societal pressure there that you have to do this or your husband or a man has to do something doesn't mean that you can be that badass that goes out there with your kids tromping around looking for mushrooms, looking for quail, looking for signs of deer, whatever. It just is another twist to society that just shows that do what you love to do no matter what others think. And all that societal pressure is made up. It doesn't sound like there's backing to it from a historical (laughs) and biological context. And that Ugh, that feels kind of silly and gross that we've allowed that to persist. But this is so interesting. And I think society is changing um, in a good way to allow some more freedoms and flexibility and personal choice there. Uh, it is worth noting that the researchers in the study had to limit themselves to societies for which there was already explicit accounts of not just hunting practices, but also who exactly was doing the hunting. And so the study in particular is based on observations of about 63 groups, whereas in total, there are closer to probably several hundred foraging societies. So keep in mind that this is a sampling based on information that was available. You know, there's more more to be looked into, more data to be gathered, but that was a place to start. Still, though, 63 is a pretty good sampling. Yeah, and, and I thought it was interesting. Um, the article was talking to Randy Haas from Wayne State University. I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, there's been there's some folks that obviously are critics of the study. Um, Randy, on, on the other hand, wasn't that. He was supportive of the study. And, you know, to Kayla's point about the finding all the different grave sites and and realizing that probably 11 of those cases, him and his team, the research team in Peru, they went on to to do a statistical analysis and discover that like 30 to 50% of individuals that are buried with hunting tools in ancient American grave sites were probably female. As a, as a hunting population, at least here in the state of Iowa, I mean, of those in our state that hold valid hunting licenses. And we're talking about at most 20% of the whole whole population. 
And now we're talking in this study, 50% of those that were found with any sort of hunting equipment were possibly female. That's a staggering number. Um, in our state, of those that hunt, about 11% of the hunters are actually female. So ancient America grave sites were more of a 30 to 50% split. Like that's that's insane um, just based on, on then and now. I mean, it, a lot of things contribute to that, right? We have a supermarket you can go to. We, we have fresh produce. We have fresh meats. Like I, I recognize um, culture and society has changed, but just... Just thinking numbers wise, it's it's kind of it's kind of astronomical to think and to really blow up that true assumption that that ninety ten maybe was a little bit more realistic, but that's not the case. So I don't know. My brain's just spinning right now thinking of of all the different possibilities, and and I think Kayla's point was was really well spoken that if picking dandelions and eating dandelions is your thing, rock it. Just scouting for quail is your thing rocket if letting your you know training dogs and running dogs and seeing what you can find is your thing awesome i mean there is no assumption or expectation or or reality that we're we're all these master hunters tana started this this episode i've never done this i'm going <laughs> camping outside the state of kansas for the first time a b minor detail i'm also going on a bear hunt what like these are all, you know, steps that we all take as humans, as hunters, you know, putting ourselves out there doing something. So it's just what a great article. And and I, I just thank NPR and Julia for finding their art their their article to have this conversation. I agree. And I have to admit, about three quarters of the way through the article, I got a little bit triggered. I'm not gonna lie. Again, they're interviewing Haas and talking to him about some of his findings and why some of this information just remained hidden in plain sight. And, you know, he said that in previous studies, things had been written to the effect of, had this stone or this tool or utensil been associated with a male, we would have assumed it to be a hunting weapon. But given its association with a female, its use as a kitchen tool would make more sense. So they found these tools associated with women, and still the assumption was placed that just because they were women, they couldn't be using those tools in the way that they would have assumed anyway. So I just was like, man, how frustrating. How frustrating is that? And then how often do we as women in the field walk into a place and, you know, whether it's a retail shop, whether it's going out to the gun range, and assumptions are made about us every day. And our knowledge and our use of our tools, our needs for equipment. I'm not going to lie. I just harassed a very, very nice salesman at a local outdoor retailer in Kansas because I walked in and they have this beautiful section full of hunting clothes for men. And they have like one half wall rack of hunting clothes camo for women, one little tiny rack. And I asked him, I said, hey, this is great. And you've all been wonderful. Really love the store. I hope you plan to expand the women's outdoor section. He goes, oh, oh we will, we will. We're going to put some stuff on, on the other side of this half wall rack too. In this whole giant section of men's, and I'm certainly not, um, you know, it wasn't up to this very nice salesman that was helping me about what, how, how much of the women's clothing that they had at the store. He was wonderful. But even just that in today's society and the assumption that, you know, some of the things that they think women want 
in outdoor gear and clothing. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not want hot pink piping on any of my camouflage. It kind of defeats the purpose. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. So anyway, I just, I thought that was so interesting that even when those tools and resources were found associated with female bodies, they said, oh, they must have been using it for something else. It's amazing how a skinning knife or a butchering knife becomes a paring knife Mm -hmm. based on assumed genders. When someone sees you in a store looking for something hunting wise, they point you towards maybe the lower end stuff of she won't be hunting very long. She doesn't need to spend $300 on a high tech knife or maybe she's looking for a knife in the kitchen for when she is butchering or something, not ever thinking that we're going to be using it for our intended purpose and that we're going to be doing that intended purpose even better than perhaps they have been doing it themselves. So I think that's another point of just get out there, ladies. You know what you want and show them how it's done. Sure thing. Well, how many times have we all walked into a store like with our husband, spouse, significant other, whatever, and the people at the counter speak to our husbands. We're there to buy a firearm. We're there to buy equipment. And they speak to our husbands instead of just speaking to me directly. And he's like, I don't know what, I mean, it's just her. It's it's not my thing. My favorite question. What is she here for? I said, well, sir, if you can't talk to me, I guess my money doesn't need to come here. No kidding. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What what are you looking for? (laughs) I had an experience where I couldn't, some of my equipment wasn't quite fitting me right. In fact, I was having a hard time cocking my uh, crossbow that I had bought. And the solution, I know I was asking them about like their cranks and things like that to make it easier. And the solution that the gentleman at the store gave me was, well, just have your husband do it for you every time you go hunting. It's like, I am not hunting with my husband. I'm hunting by myself. I need a solution that works for me. And, you know, I ended up kind of figuring it out, but it's just so frustrating. You know, one of the parts that really brought this whole article home for me. And especially I know all of us are probably involved in some form of DE&I or diversity, equity, and inclusion work within our respective states. This whole article was summarized to come back to how important it is to have diversity represented because of the different lenses and viewpoints through which people view things through. And it kind of takes away a lot of those assumptions. Having that diversity in place, you know, had this research not been primarily conducted and reviewed by men, maybe there would have been some additional perspective to say, hey, you know, I want to challenge that in this way. And I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but I love the way the article kind of relates this all back to diversity and understanding why it's important to ensure the scientific community as a whole includes people of diverse backgrounds. We talk a lot about the outdoors is open for all. And I know our three states for sure, along with the other 47, truly believe that and are trying to take measures and and, and do things to promote that. Um, just their words, like the preconceptions that we all have when we look at data sets really shape the outcome. So I think it's it's interesting. You think of something like data sets, you know, math is, we were always told math is very straightforward. It's set, right? But it turns out you can have a bias. You can have a sway. You can, the way you look at those numbers, um, it, it actually can completely change the outcome. So uh, just, just having that internal understanding and and maybe looking inward a little bit that, you know, making sure our actions and and the things that are assumptions um, are allowing space for for all to to enjoy. So. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, based on this article and these exciting findings, 
what advice do you all have for other, either women that want to get out in the field? And you guys have shared some awesome tips already about basically hunt your own hunt, have your own outdoor experience, whatever that looks like for you. You are not limited by any factors, but you know, what other advice or information can we leave people with? I think getting out there and doing your own research too, of finding those articles that really speak to you and what you're looking for. And if you find something that maybe doesn't make sense, or maybe you are second guessing, go do the research yourself, see what other information you can find and um, reach out to other ladies, individuals in the agency um, or in your community and just see what their opinion is on stuff. I mean, the only way we're going to break these social norms is by spreading the word and um, kind of breaking them ourselves, I guess. And there's there's lots of great organizations and entities that are that are out there doing great things. Um, our three states have super active women's outdoor networks, um, county conservation boards, park and recs uh, through the state. Like there's lots of different groups. Um, you know, maybe becoming an outdoor woman events aren't your thing. You want a more you know a smaller, more intimate group, but don't be afraid to to look out there and ask and and say why and how and find your network of 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 people um they're out there and they're looking for you um they might not have figured out how to to say hi and to to get to you but they they are there and um it's just once you find your people i it, it, it's such a awesome fulfilling, um, amazing space. So um, as an introvert, I guess I have to say, put yourself out there. It's, it's so, so hard. It's daunting and, and scary. But um, once you once you get out there and, and find your place, it's, uh, it's pretty miraculous. And there's, yeah, there's nothing but smiles and amazing photos to come. So um, good luck on your search. And then, you know, to all of our listeners, if there's anything that our she goes outdoors family can can do to support or help um just reach out we're always interested in and willing to try and connect you with with others um in that in that kind of network oh definitely and as a baseline too women supporting women that's it at the end of the day that is the hill that i will die on people are gonna you know hunt your own hunt we say that all the time even if there's people in your network or in the She Goes Outdoors network, even that maybe hunt differently than you or recreate outdoors differently from you. And maybe someone hunts over bait and based on your ethics and what you've determined to be appropriate for you, that's not something you associate with. At the end of the day, we support each other. We are women supporting women. And that's what we need to do. That what else can really be said? Yeah, <laughs> soapbox is over. I love it. It's one that she's hard to stand on. For here and now, wave that flag, and and we support it because because uh, we're all there with you. Um, but really, it's people supporting people on the bigger level. Um, sure. You know it. I think there's so much <laughs> there's so much divisiveness. There we go. Can't talk today. You know, everywhere you turn. Um, get out. I mean. It, 
that we genuinely believe the outdoors is for everyone. And to Tana's point, however you choose to spend that time in that space, you know, as long as you aren't hurting anyone else out there, um, it, it's your land too. So um, we we encourage you to get out and, and to do and to support others. And um, there is no better, good, better, best. It's just uh, different preferences and, and um, styles and, and what different states allow and, you know, different landscapes allow for different things. And, and so, um, yeah, it, it, trying to understand why before you before you say that's the worst, right? Um, mm-hmm. Taking that step back. And Rachel, you give some good perspective about some of the introverted girlies. I'm an extroverted girly, in case y'all <laughs> haven't figured that out. And um, I want to encourage folks too. If you feel empowered to say something, like if you see something, say something. And it's probably not going to get very far. And I certainly don't encourage anybody to be rude. But I have to admit, being as outspoken as I am, I'm also like a Midwestern lady and I'm overly (laughs) accommodating. And I think a lot of our listeners can probably, um, you know, that probably resonates with you. Like maybe you've been accommodating in times where you should have stuck up for yourself or even stuck up for others. And so I'll challenge folks if you do feel comfortable enough. um, You know, if people are kind of pushing you a little bit and making some assumptions that aren't true, kindly, politely don't be afraid to stand up and, and challenge some of those assumptions um, because it takes, it takes somebody seeing something and saying something sometimes for things to click. And, you know, whether or not if you say something to a salesman at Shields or Bass Pro or Cabela's or wherever, um, whether or not that's going to make it up the chain, who knows, you know, you could, you could write in something online saying, Hey, had a great experience, but I would love to see more of this in the future. Who knows? But the more voices that are speaking up about what they're seeing represented in the industry, supply and demand is what drives our economy, is what drives everything. So, um, yeah, if you see something, say something, speak up. And to that same point, I mean, you'd certainly, there's a lot of amazing female-run outdoor gear companies. Um, I would highly recommend if if that's, you know, to Tana's point, if that's the hill you're going to die on. Um, get out there and support those businesses support, you know, you're probably going to pay a little bit more because of the, you know, the reality is the demand lowers the cost. Right. Um, but take that, take that initiative. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. Cause I think Tana has something she wants to say. Sorry. I got so excited. Um, I forgot to tell you guys for my bear hunt, I didn't have like any good, gear for being hiking being out of state in potentially wet conditions dry conditions whatever i ordered a pair of detali pants you guys remember we had raylene proto on the podcast with detali and she talked about her women's outdoor brand i ordered a pair of the pants they're amazing i love <laughs> them so much my literal only regret is that i only bought one pair and for the hunting trip it's gonna be like 10 days it's like oh i probably should have gotten two <laughs> i wasn't sure you know i hadn't tried them on yet whatever they're fantastic. They fit so well and they're so adjustable. I also went out and bought a pair of uh, Prios women's hunting pants and that's a whole women's line, like designed by women, run by women. Same thing as Detali or a similar situation as Detali. Also wonderful. Very, very impressed with the way they fit, the adjustability. So that stuff's out there, but I just wanted to give Raylene and Detali a shout out because I did go through and order those pants. Um, we're not sponsored in any way. We don't accept gifts from companies. Uh-huh. So. This is not something that was sent to me for free and I'm here plugging it on the podcast. 
I did it as a consumer. I sent Raylene pictures of me and I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely fun. So yeah, check out those brands as a starting point. If you're interested in getting some gear, especially pants, finding pants for women in general, even within women's clothing lines is tough. So um, those two brands at least have my stamp of approval for what that's worth. Anyway, <laughs> this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. We encourage you to check out this article. Again, we'll be sure to post it in the show notes for today. Um, we might also share it on the Facebook page as well. And if you want to engage in any discussion about that, we encourage you to. Rachel mentioned getting those social groups and finding your community as well. Don't be afraid to use that She Goes Outdoors Facebook page as a place to kick things off. If that's where you're comfortable please, please use that page for all it's worth. You know, we love it when our phones get blown up with notifications about you guys being active on that page. Again, share your pictures, share anything that you think might inspire others. You don't have to be hardcore about it. Anything you're doing in the outdoors could be inspirational and could resonate and be relevant to someone. You just never know. So share your stories. And of course, be sure to like, share, subscribe to our podcast. Um, if there's somebody in your life you think might benefit from these conversations, you guys know we go on soapboxes all the time and talk about bigger cultural things than just hunting, fishing, foraging, or just your basic outdoor stuff. Um, there's usually a tangent that we're on at some place. So <laughs> we really appreciate y'all tuning in. Uh, Rachel, Kayla, any last minute thoughts or ideas before we log off today? Get out there. Have fun. Um, Tana's favorite pumpkin spice is almost here. My favorite leaves crunching and football. Yay. Uh, but that being said, it's, yeah, a small game around the corner. Waterfalls swinging in soon, too. So be on the lookout. Um, you know, even if if you decide that, maybe hunting this year isn't your thing, take your binoculars and, and see if you can start identifying birds that are coming through. Um, my daughter and I count to see how many birds we can find. It's it's just fun looking through our inoculars, as she calls them. That B is a hard letter. We're out there with our inoculars looking to see what we can see um, because get out there, have fun, stay safe, and uh, great advice. And I think with that, we'll see you out. Outdoor-